5: got a new car in the driveway do you do you like it do you enjoy driving it is it is it everything to you you know is it oh my gosh i sit in this car i'm gonna keep this car forever i love it so much i'm really gonna keep this one a long time not gonna happen the car doctor what I would think about doing is and not not to do Loctite I wouldn't use Loctite in this no, case because no, I don't want to do that
6: but how about a
5: dab of liquid Teflon ah uh, white, li- white white liquid Teflon
4: welcome to the radio home of Ron and Anian the car doctor since 1991 this is where car owners the world over turn to for their definitive opinion
5: on automotive repair. <phone rings> If your mechanic's giving you a busy signal, pick up the phone and call in. The garage doors are open. But I am here to take your calls at 855-560-9900. And now, here's
1: Ronnie. Did you have a good week?
5: I did. I had a great week. Great week of fixing cars, eating turkey, talking to Tom. That's sort of like the same thing, turkey, turkey. No, I won't pick on Tom today. I love Tom too much. Tom's the best. Um, I always say it. Tom could get me on the air with a juice can and a string in the middle of the Sahara Desert. Um, and then he'd cut the cord so I couldn't talk or you couldn't hear me. But either way, we need Tom. Yeah, I was going to say, just don't forget. Mm-hmm. I uh, control your microphone. That's right. Tom Tom is the master of the microphone, so we have to be nice to Tom. So, do you have a nice turkey day, Tom? Uh, Yeah, I could barely fit down the stairs to get uh, down here to do the show, but yeah. yeah well, you know, it's... <laughs> So it's uh, you got to be careful but that's um that's that's this time of year right the holidays so I um I thought this week this hour uh would be a good time to catch up our next guest really needs no introduction we've had Mark Mills here before and uh he's just so much fun to listen to and it's just here's a guy who just makes so much sense about the EV future and uh you know I I can't say enough about him with enough accolades either we'd spend the hour just talking about that so let's not waste any time. let's bring him aboard Mark Mills, the Manhattan Institute, our favorite physicist. How are you today mark?
4: <laughs> That's a uh, rousing introduction thank you though oh, so, you're,
5: you're you're well.
4: gratuitously gracious but
5: oh, thank you well you, you listen I sit and I you know, every once in a while you you seem to be get, well not every once in a while, but I notice you, you seem to be getting interviewed more and more. I've seen some of the stuff with John Stossel of late. I've seen some of the other things that you're doing, and more and more people are starting to quote you. And it, it gives me hope, like, are, are they starting to wake up? I, You know, here we are a year <laughs> later, right? We we originally talked a year ago, yeah. and the yeah. EV future that's being predicted and planned and, you know, sold to us just keeps on rolling down the road. Um, you, you know, it, how that's different that's is it even, than in a year ago, yeah. Mark?
4: It's going to keep rolling. A lot of money, I mean, yeah. a lot of money here. A lot of, a lot of dreams and aspirations. But, uh, you know, th- as I've said before, and, and we all know, there's going to be lots more electric vehicles in, in the near future, <clears throat> and there should be. There should be lots more. That's that's not what I'm disputing. Obviously, and when I when I talk and write about this stuff, it's it's the claim that uh, EVs are going to take over the entire automotive market and quickly, and they're going to get cheaper. And they're inherently better, and um you know all the whole the whole narrative, which is very different than it's a great option. It's a great model for a car there's a lot of people who will find it extremely useful, um but it's not going to do the things that everybody's sort of claiming in the general uh, uh I guess you could call it mania to think that the electric vehicle is the equivalent of the invention of the car in the first place it's right. like going from the horse and buggy. The auto age—we're transforming the very basis of transportation. And as you know, um, I use the ham-handed analogy that, that an EV is the equivalent in the late 19th century of saying that you've discovered a new way to feed a horse, and so your horse and buggy is going to be superior to the other guy's horse and buggy. Right. They're both horses. And changing what we feed a car is meaningful—absolutely meaningful—but it's not a revolution uh, from a viewpoint of our economy, and it's. Probably not going to work out quite the way people imagined, uh, either economically or geopolitically. But and that's what I've been writing about a lot and talking about, because I think it's important. I think we're we're making some very big mistakes and some very bad capital allocations that will be expensive. And in fact, since we live now in an age of inflation, we weren't in the age of inflation a year ago. People didn't think we'd ever see inflation again. I could say if we were talking economics, since an EV costs more than uh, a regular car, and we know that because it's still the case by a lot. And since the EV does the same thing as a regular car, this is the very definition of inflation. You spend more to get the same output, the same thing, the same product, the same mile of driving. That's inflationary. So, you know, subsidizing EVs is, is fueling inflation, frankly.
5: Interesting. You know, it, it is a matter of economics, right? General Motors this week came out. There was an article about them that they, they claim – they're going to stop burning cash on electric vehicles by 2025. <laughs> yeah, uh, just, I'll take that bet. You know, I'll um, take the bet. That's y- not very far away. You know, um, <laughs> uh, listen. I, I just I just report the news. I don't make it up. I just you know I, I read that and <laughs> I and went two and a half years. Yeah, I yeah I said how you know. And the article goes on to say the company, which is the largest automaker in North America, outlined the plan to achieve this goal to investors at a splashy event in Manhattan. GM said it will sell one million EVs annually starting in 2025. Well, well,
4: they could, they might, they might even have a hard time manufacturing a million a million a year, but never mind selling them. So you got to have willing buyers wanting to buy them. But I did, I read the same article. It's fascinating. The, the two things that they said they're going to uh, that are going to happen to allow them to uh, not lose money. Note, note here that they're admitting they're losing money. Right. Day, right. Building and selling EVs. So there's there's an important admission there. So like, not only is, are the EVs more expensive and therefore inflationary, but the companies that make them are losing money. So this is this is a here's a here's a formula for, for an industrialization of an economy. Let's right. make things more expensive that are important, and that's how the companies making them lose money
5: good plan yeah it makes uh, anyway. it, it makes no sense and yet you know it's sort of like we're designing submarines with screen doors and saying yeah you'll just get a little wet uh you know there's well, there's no logic yeah. here
4: well the you read between the lines other than the fact they're admitting they're losing money now is they're pointing out that they expect electric uh vehicles and batteries to get cheaper very soon that's that's a discussion to have um that's an expectation which is uh, profoundly wishful thinking, but, but that's something that is a little more subtle. But the second part that they said was that they were particularly happy about the subsidies that the government is now going to give. um you have taxpayers, but subsidies. And now, you know, silly me, I thought that politicians gave us subsidies to reduce the cost of the car. We're going to buy it it's more expensive. But no, apparently, uh, General Motors is telling us, thank you very much. We'll take that money. It'll make it possible for us, in their words, to raise the price of the car because we're losing money. I'm <laughs> the, whole, the whole logic of subsidies was supposed to be to make the cars cheaper, not to hand money to General Motors. But
5: isn't the point of all this – well, okay, let's, let's back up a second. General Motors is losing money. Where is it written that we have to underwrite – the creation or the the marketing of the electric vehicle is the american public or you know the world oh. uh, i mean well, you, 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 yeah. aren't we pouring money down a dry well as the expression used to be yeah, we are
4: well the, we all know what the uh, proximate uh, claim here is the reason for, for all of this and it's the claim that electric vehicles are quote, zero emissions vehicles and by emissions they don't mean nitrogen oxides and carbon monoxide uh, and so if they mean carbon dioxide, that's the principal motivation, in fact, the entire motivation behind the subsidies and the mandates and, you know, that California is saying you can't buy internal combustion engines, it's all about carbon dioxide. That's what they mean by a zero-emissions vehicle. So since that's the, the animating purpose of the mandates and the subsidies, it would seem to me it would be useful to ask if that's true. I mean, set aside the obvious, that when you plug in an EV, you have to charge it with something and that does involve burning fuel somewhere in America, almost everywhere in this country. But set that aside, because it doesn't have a tailpipe. If the CO2 question is, and not to use an indelicate word, the question of whether does it does dramatically reduce CO2 emissions is a sort of a fraudulent claim. It's a fraudulent claim because the magnitude of materials and energy needed to mine all the metals needed to make these batteries, battery. To remind your listeners who you know forgotten this from our year ago discussion, the electric car battery weighs about a thousand pounds. Right. You yeah. have to dig up. You dig up about five hundred thousand pounds of rock and earth per car battery to make the metals and metals you need for that battery, which involves lots of big machinery burning lots of fuel, and lots of chemicals that burn lots of fuel and a lot of processes that burn lots of fuel to make carbon dioxide. So when the electric car shows up on your driveway before you plugged it in the first time, driven it one mile, it's already emitted a lot of CO2 just somewhere else upstream, so much so that – and Volkswagen has put their own study on this at their website, and God bless them for being honest – so much so that in the calculation Volkswagen did for Europe, for the first 60,000 miles you drive in a Volkswagen electric vehicle, you're emitting more CO2 than if you just drove the diesel. SUV that it's trying to replace. Wow. And that, that doesn't make it zero emissions. And it, and they do say if you drive it another 30,000 miles, 40,000, it will result in a net reduction in CO2 emissions, but I'm not talking zero. We're talking a reduction of you know, 20 30%, maybe 40%, so some number, depending on how you charge it, but right. it's not zero. And it's more expensive. It's just not cheaper.
5: Right. So where does that let's do this. Let's pull over, take a pause. You know, my question was going to be, are EVs greener? And I think you've got us in the middle of it. So we'll pick it up on the other side. I'm here with Mark Mills of the Manhattan Institute. We're talking EVs today. I'm Ron and the car doctor. We'll both be back right after this. Don't go away.
7: Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.
2: My name is Ariel. I moved to the U.S. at 19. I spoke no English and I struggled finding job opportunities. Everything I have, I owe to the Adult Literacy Center and getting my high school diploma at age 22.
3: It was an honor helping you achieve your greatness. Now you're helping others achieve theirs. It inspires me. When you graduate, they graduate. Find
0: free and supportive adult education centers near you at finishyourdiploma.org. Brought to you by Dollar General Literacy Foundation and the Ad Council.
6: More Than a Movie is back with Season 2 of the award-winning film podcast, and this time with a lot more movies. I'm your host, Alex Fumero, and each week I'm going to talk to the people behind some of my favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia.
8: He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny.
11: Rappaport's reality, the reality a little of bit. us. We're a figuring little bit.
10: out. And if we had been recording these last four or five days, Ooh. it would have been, Ooh, a, would have been the juicy. podcast would have taken a, a, a left turn. Listen to Rappaport's Reality with me, Michael Rappaport, and my wife, Kibi Rappaport, starting May 8th on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts.
2: Little GTO, you really look at mine. Three deuces and a four-speed and a
10: 389. Need advice on how to maintain that classic
5: GTO? Ron is the guy. 855-560-9900. Here's Ron. Welcome back, Ron and Anian at your service. We're here with Mark Mills of the Manhattan Institute talking EVs this hour. Mark, so are EVs greener? The answer has to be no.
4: Well, they're they're greener in some respects. It just depends on how, you know, life is complicated. This is very annoying. Everybody wants <laughs> <laughs> a, a simple answer. But EVs don't, EVs don't have a tailpipe. We know this. It's right. not complicated. So it, it, that has some benefits. If you're in a dense urban area, it is a significant benefit to shifting emissions uh, to areas remote where there's congestion and it'd be nice to have zero emissions there. Nitrogen oxides in particular, you know, and carbon monoxide, just, that would be nice. And I and I think there's an extraordinarily good case for EVs and dense urban cores, frankly. The distances aren't long. Um, there's all, all kinds of benefits. So, yes, yeah, that, that's good. But then if the question is different, do they have, you know, zero emissions? Well, no, of course they don't. They're just emitting stuff elsewhere at a different time. Somewhere in the life you cycle.
5: Know,
4: somewhere in the life cycle. Also... Look, the, the battery charging, which has been talked about a lot, is actually an important serious issue. If you charge your car at certain times of the day in certain parts of the country or the world, you could be charging your battery with hydropower, zero emission. You could be charging with nuclear power, depending on where you live, time of day. You could be charging with coal power. If you're in China, which two-thirds of its grid is coal-fired, and you charge at night, it's essentially all coal. It's a coal car. If you charge it in, I don't know, let's say the northeast in the uh, middle of the day, it's probably going to be natural gas on a cloudy day because of the gas turbines. So knowing the emissions that are associated with your particular driving behavior is very complicated and not obvious. With, With a gasoline car, the emissions from a gasoline car, give or take a little bit, are exactly the same whenever you run it, wherever you drive it, whenever you fuel it, whatever part of the planet you're on. I mean, the emissions are just almost, without exception, identical, uh, no matter where you are, what you're doing. So we know exactly what they are. But electric vehicle, we don't know. And if we wanted to say, look, we'd only want you to charge your car with a low or zero emissions electricity. Okay, fair enough. So I could use GPS locators. I can use you know, the software and the Internet and your car and make it so that you would not be able to charge your car. Uh, when it's not when, when it's not permitted because you'd be charging with coal or natural gas or with oil or with, with nukes because you don't want whatever. This would be a very inconvenient car, but you could, through that methodology, guarantee that the vehicles are being least charged with low emission or zero emission electricity. That, but that this is the polar opposite of a general utility useful vehicle if I'm constrained about when I can fuel it. Uh, and of course, as a practical matter, what everybody does is they do average calculations. They look at the average electric electricity, the average kilowatt hour in the United States or in Europe, and say, if you use the average kilowatt hour, uh, then the average emissions associated with the grid. Okay, in America, that means on average, two thirds of the electricity going to electric cars from burning coal and natural gas. Roughly, what it, what it is, about two thirds, and on average. So you're you're burning coal and natural gas in Germany right now. It's more than two thirds because they've increased their coal burn cur- courtesy of uh, mr Putin and they burn lots of natural gas especially at at uh, at night so these things are important um it's disingenuous to say there's zero emissions and it's i think it's it, a little bit of a bait and switch right to tell consumers that you have a a low emission vehicle but we're going to tell you when you're allowed to charge right and never mind the obvious shade and troy that when you know, Within a few days of Governor Newsom saying he was going to ban internal combustion engines, I think it was two days later he had to tell people today, right, in that very time that they couldn't charge their electric cars because there was a power shortage from the heat wave in the summer. Well, okay, that's you know, that's and void. But, but it's also a reality that uh, storing electricity and charging cars, it's going to be much more complicated than storing gasoline in tanks in the ground and filling up, you know, regular
5: cars. Well, it's yeah, difficult. And, and then when does you know when does the when does the insanity stop? I mean, when do we stop and look at this and go, okay, we're, we're predicting we're going to do this by twenty thirty five. We're going to do this by twenty twenty five. We're going to, you know, I asked an electric vehicle owner the other day. I, I asked him, do you really think you're contributing to a cleaner environment? And they said, absolutely. And my question yeah, well, to them was, where do you think the electricity comes from? And she pointed to the wall. She says, it comes out of that outlet. Yeah, but that has to come, come from somewhere. Yeah, it <laughs> comes from the electric company. They're, they don't think beyond. I, um, <laughs> I, think,
4: I think there are there are a certain constituency of people who don't think beyond the hapless person you talk to. And then there are people who do think beyond it who say, oh, no, I'm, I'm promoting wind and solar and I'm going to make a choice to buy more, you know, wind-powered electricity. You know, like I have the option. So pe- people who, who think beyond it are saying those things. Okay, fair enough. Except my point is that the bigger issue on the whole sort of fuel cycle, the whole supply chain, is that we know where gasoline comes from. You, you know, drill oil, drill a hole in the ground, get oil, you refine it. And we know a lot about the environmental impacts of that, and we, we regulate them, measure them, monitor them. We know with great precision what those uh, environmental costs are. But the battery to make the battery, we have to mine, you know, gigatons of rock around the planet to make all these batteries, and it's all over the place. And right. we don't know exactly where. Sometimes it's in the Democratic Republic of Congo. Now, there's an oxymoron for you, <laughs> title for a country. But it's in, in China. It's in you know Argentina and Chile. Some in my homeland, Canada, they mine stuff. So we don't mine stuff as much anymore in America because we don't like mining, I guess. But it, the mining activities are hidden. We don't think about them, but it's just like a, a gasoline car. You have to drill stuff, get oil, refine it to get gasoline. You have to drill and dig holes in the ground, big machines. You take the rocks, crush them with big machines, refine the rocks using chemicals that dissolve the rocks to chemically separate the, the, the minerals. Then you make a mineral compound, you know, lithium carbonate, some lithiated chemicals to put it in the battery. Then you make pure copper, and manganese, and nickel, and you, you assemble a half-ton uh, fuel tank to make a battery with all those chemicals and all the chemical and right. environmental and,
3: activity.
5: And, and and all that has to come from mining and there's a mining issue we're going to talk about when we get back. I'm Ron and the car doctor here with Mark Mills. We'll both return right after this. Don't go away.
10: Listen to Rappaport's Reality with me, Michael Rappaport, and my wife, Kibi Rappaport, starting May 8th on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts.
5: on the car doctor here with Mark Mills, the Manhattan Institute, talking EVs this hour. Mark, so you know we were talking about how the batteries get made, and you know the mining operations and where the materials come from, and the hours and how much rock and so on and so forth. But there's something else to the mining issue. Uh, the New York Times ran an article in June of of this year that talked about the fact that a lot of the mines, well, they're not here, right? Because you can't you can't set up these mines here in America. So you know, for regulations and and protection to the environment, as I understand it, correct me if I'm wrong. And a lot of them, a lot of the mines are everywhere else, and they're in some not so nice places in the way that they recruit their their workers, right?
4: Yeah, and this so there's yeah you're absolutely right. There's three three problems, but they begin with the simple fact that the United States depends on imports for a hundred percent of about a dozen key minerals, and we import more than half of another dozen or so. So we're, we are uh, big importers already, and of the refined metals and minerals, they're refined in a form useful for batteries, or frankly useful for solar power, but let's just talk about electric cars. The refining of these uh, metals and minerals is utterly dominated by China. China's got a marketplace dominance in refining uh, battery metals and materials that's roughly double OPEX dominance in oil markets. So that's sort of a non-trivial geopolitical issue, I would just say. One can have different opinions about importing stuff, but building battery factories here doesn't change the fact that we're importing the materials to make the batteries from, which is this administration has tried to say they're going to fix that by providing incentives for the U.S. to do more of this. Let's assume the incentives work, um, and they might over time. Uh, we have to change regulations, to your point, to make it easier to open mines. And this administration has done the opposite. In fact, this year they've canceled uh, permits for three new mines, uh, nickel and copper mines, in the United States, that well, have already gone through the permitting process and we're preparing to expand or open. They just cancel them outright. At the same time that we are going to demand that there are more electric vehicles, which require more of exactly the same. Metals, and these are common metals, by the way. We're not talking about exotic stuff. Then, then you have the other problem you put your finger on is we'll call it transparency or equivalency of in both environmental and labor law behaviors. I mean, the New York Times, Washington Post, um, New Yorker. I mean, a lot of uh, we'll call them normally liberal, uh, politically liberal outlets uh, have. This is not. A, I'm saying this because it's not a political issue. The fact of that. Uh, mines in other countries don't follow our um, labor laws or procedures, and in fact, cobalt mines uh, in the Democratic Republic of Congo uh, notoriously use child labor. In fact, some estimates, according to the UN, some estimates are a third of the labor, a quarter of a third of the labor, is from children uh, mining by hand, carrying around you know rocks and stuff in mines. This is, you know, we we would find that repugnant here. Uh, most people would and once they learn about it, say, well, well let's not use nic- uh, cop- cobalt. And you can you can't make batteries with little or no cobalt. And instead, you have to use other metals, you know, like nickel or other, other metals, but you always have to use lithium. And every one of these cases, you're in countries where we have minimal control or none, and maybe more importantly, we have very little visibility of what's really going on. Uh, sometimes you know, reporters will go and find out, and they'll act shocked. But it's, you know, it's, what can we say? It's, it's, it's profoundly naive to think that if we discover we don't like that, that we could change those facts in timeframes that are meaningful. It will take a decade to two decades to open sufficient amount of new mining and refining capacity in the United States to replace what we're going to be importing to build the kinds of uh, battery factories that are now being imagined. So we're rushing to fund huge battery factories that will import Billions of dollars of materials and export jobs to make those materials, and if we're concerned about the environment, export the environmental challenges associated with getting those materials.
5: So, where what you're telling us is where we're becoming more energy dependent on a foreign nation <laughs> all over again. Well, yeah. We're not inst- instead of it well, being in, yeah. the middle, in, in the middle in the middle in you know in the Middle East and Saudi Arabia and so forth. We're now going to China. China is going to hold our energy strings, so to speak. Well, that's
4: well, that's exactly right. So we have we have, um, even though there's been a lot of rhetoric about the uh, self-declared obsession of this administration to, you know, get rid of American oil and gas production, we still produce uh, the largest share of the world's oil and gas, and we still are a big producer. we well, less than we were pre-lockdowns. We're still the big the big Kahuna, and we could be much bigger. And we export. Uh, oil and natural gas and refined products. But, yes, on the battery mineral stuff, we're a net importer. We will be for a long time. And China made a very deliberate decision. It wasn't done in secret for the last couple of decades to become the OPEC of battery minerals. And they succeeded. Uh, From their perspective, that's a pretty good trade because they're very dependent on imports of uh, natural gas and gasoline and oil. And they will be for a long time. It it turns out – here's the reality. It turns out it's obviously a lot harder to uh, produce sufficient quantities of oil and natural gas, and it is to produce sufficient quantities of minerals to make batteries, right. because they've chosen the easier task. But we've made it hard here by virtue of the regulatory environment
5: that exists. So are, are we, America, the United States, are we the ones making the big push for EVs and the rest of the world is kind of watching? I mean, is the same amount of effort being applied in Europe and China, you know, around the world? Or, you know, who's the leader in the EV attempt?
4: Well, um, we're not the first. Um, we're, I think there's now 10 countries, uh, Germany and France, and a, you know, a bunch of others have proclaimed that they're going to ban the, the uh, sale of internal combustion engines by 2030 or 2035 or some, some date. China's not doing that, by the way. China's doing quite the opposite. Uh, they're increasing their use of uh, regular cars and EVs, they're increasing the use of coal. They're doing everything. Basically, they're using both for transportation and for energy production, that all that, all the above they're doing everything so we're not we 're not, we're not alone in the pursuit of the mania, but uh, i guess I guess that's what area we could be a leader in if we really, really wanted to be a leader in something like that yeah but, uh, but it won't end well it, uh, because it it's not going to lead to all the cars being converted it' will lead to very expensive automobiles and very expensive used cars because people will have to be stuck when they're used cars are very expensive maintenance you won 't have the option of uh, of switching out, because if we ban the sale of an internal combustion engine, you'll, you'll have to keep your old one for a long time. Right. Until so we get seen again.
5: Tell you what, Mark, let's pull over. When we come back, I want to talk about, well, charging stations. I, I read a recent article about the security concerns for women at charging stations. Uh, if, if you have some thoughts on that, I'd like you to speak to that. And just in general, you know, th- the future of charging stations, where we are now and where you think we'll be in five years in terms of how fast and how much and accessibility. So sit tight. We're here with Mark Mills of the Manhattan Institute talking EVs. I'm Ron Anini and the car doctor. We'll both be back right after this. Don't go away.
6: Listen to more than a movie as part of the My Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
10: Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kibi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's, Rappaport's Reality, Reality Podcast. Podcast.
11: Rappaport's reality, the reality a of bit. us. We're a figuring bit. out.
10: And if we had been recording these last four or five days, Ooh. It, would been, Ooh, it would have been, the been podcast juicy. would have taken a, a left turn. Listen to Rappaport's Reality with me, Michael Rappaport, and my wife, Kibi Rappaport, starting May 8th on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. It's the Breakfast Club, the world's most dangerous morning show.
0: Hey!
10: Angela E. is kind of like the big sister that always pokes you in the
0: forehead. <laughs>
5: Welcome back. It's an electric hour here on the Car Doctor. We're talking EVs with Mark Mills of the Manhattan Institute. <laughs> Mark, you know, yeah, we, tom, tom, an electrified hour. An, an electrified hour. There you go. Um, you know, and we could talk about EVs for for. There's just so many angles and so many things to 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 discuss. But I want to hit the point of charging stations. You testified this year in front of Congress. They had asked you some questions about charging station issues, and you know, out in the out in the sticks, as we as we refer to it sometimes, in remote areas. Uh, you know, but now there's an obvious there's a safety and security st- concern at charging stations for women now that's starting to you know poke its head up and you know obviously a, a woman pulls into a charging place eleven o'clock at night. she has to sit there how long to charge that vehicle on average half hour forty minutes uh,
4: yeah half, half half hour forty minutes so this this is the essence of the challenge with the current technology. It's not like we can't find something magical someday in the future, but the reality is we're going to be building and selling what we know how to build today. So the, as you know, if you charge your car at home in your garage, which is perfectly fine for people with garages, which is a big, big piece of population, it's just not the majority, uh, it charges overnight on a regular 220 outlet, you know, six to eight hours, depends on the car, the battery size, that kind of thing, maybe 10 hours sometimes. But let's just say six hours. The superchargers, which we hear a lot about with what you put at a filling station, because you can't sit there for six hours are extremely high voltage, very powerful, uh, you know, 300,000 volts, 400,000 volts, some are six or 800,000 volt chargers, and they can charge the battery faster, 30 or 40 minutes. But as, as you know, as anybody who's got to a gasoline station knows, get your watch out and time how long it takes to fill your gas tank up. It's in, you know, you're not driving a, a tandem double, you know, F-150, but, you know, it's five minutes, four minutes to fill a gasoline tank up, Right, you know, beginning and end and six minutes maybe. So you're now talking about a nearly a tenfold increase. You're there for half an hour. That has a, a set of implications which are p- pretty important. Non-trivial uh, are the hazards or risks associated with people by themselves standing there for half an hour, not for five minutes. You're, you know, you become a target. This has already become an issue. Uh, I guess they've got to make sure you go to an EV filling station where there's lots of people in regards to security. I, I don't know. But that. That's a that's an important social safety issue. Right. The other problem, though, that's ignored is, in, you know, in economic parlance, people use the, the word utility function. You know, that this is fancy way of saying convenient, right? You want the same convenience, the same utility function. When you go to a gasoline station, you, you generally don't have to wait a long time. You're not in the long lines typically, absent episodic you know, crises. Uh, you know, evacuations and stuff. You don't wait that long. Just The longest you might wait typically is a few minutes, if at all, because there's enough gas pumps. For each person takes four or five minutes, they're gone. If you've got each person taking 30 minutes, you can do the math here. It's not complicated. You need, let's say, six or seven times more pumps, electric pumps in this case, than you had gasoline pumps, to have the same convenience for everybody at the same peak times. So now I've got to build, Gasoline stations that have enough room for six times the quantity of pumping locations, pretty much impossible in urban areas. It may be farm country. Sure, it can do that. But it takes land, takes space. And each supercharger costs two to three times more than the capital cost of a gasoline pump, you know, electrically driven mechanical pumps. So you're now doing a capital expenditure at somebody's expense. That's not just six times more. It's 12 times more. right. And on top of that, when I'm putting in each of those superchargers is, you know, half a megawatt of power. It's an astonishing amount of power. You know, then I put two dozen of those in one, in one location. Like a mini steel mill worth of electric demand. That requires a massive expensive upgrade to the local electric utility distribution loop, which, you know, somebody's going to pay for that. You know, rate payers, somebody's. Somebody's got to pay for
5: it. And if I put all that charging things- if I if I put that charging station out in a remote part of the country, I now have to get that electricity to that remote part of the country because that's where the land is for the charging station to exist. Well,
4: sure. It's, I mean, it's uh, again, all these things are not impossible to do. They just cost money and take time, and they don't add they don't add any convenience. They actually are taking convenience away. My, my point in my testimony before the House was. They were talking about trying to electrify rural transportation, and my observation was the obvious. Well, they have, they have the land there for huge refueling stations, but to your point, you have long distances, you have to upgrade all the transmission distribution systems. And again, you, you know, you're going to go to town, you, you live in a you know, rural area, and you've got to charge up. You're going to be waiting a half an hour, not five minutes, to refuel your vehicle. Now, there are some uh, promising uh, developments where you can imagine charging even faster, maybe getting it down 15 minutes.
5: I'll tell you Not what, crazy, hold, 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 these- hold that thought, Mark. Let me pull over, take this pause. When you come back, I'll let you do that for the wrap-up. And um, get ready. I want to give a shameless plug for your book when we come back, too, as well. I'm just warning you so that you know. Um, get your thoughts in order. We'll have a couple of minutes. I'm Ron Anning, and the Car Doctor here with Mark Mills. We'll both return right after this. Don't go away.
6: Listen to More Than a Movie as part of the My Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
10: Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kibi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's, Rappaport's Reality Podcast. Reality Podcast.
11: Rappaport's Reality, the reality a of bit. us. We're a figuring bit.
10: out. And <laughs> if we had been recording these last four or five days, Ooh. It, would have been, Ooh, it would have been The been podcast juicy. would have taken a, a left turn. Listen to Rappaport's <laughs> Reality with me, Michael Rappaport, and my wife, Kibi Rappaport starting May 8th on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts.
5: Hey, we're back. We're on The Car Doctor with Mark Mills of the Manhattan Institute. Mark, let me lay it on you like this, and in a minute and a half or less, I'll make it as crazy as in all-EV future. Um, <laughs> is, 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 is there a bright spot in the road ahead, and it's not an EV on fire? Is there, is there hope for any of this, that this will actually work?
4: <laughs> It'll work. It's just, we're not going to have as many EVs as people think they'll be on the road. There'll be lots. Be 100 million, 200 million in the world. And we're only got fourteen or fifteen million today. It's a big deal. That's a lot. But there's right. a billion five vehicles in the world. So it's you know, it's not gonna change the world. It's gonna be exciting and probably the winner in the end, you know, it's probably gonna still be Elon Musk because he's locked up the supply chains while everybody else has been dithering around. It's very smart. It's good for him. Right.
5: And and even if all the even if all the world were electric, we still have all those other issues to uh to really deal with. So um,
4: let's yeah, talk. Well, if, if, if the world got 500 million EVs, it would only eliminate 10 percent of world's oil demand. There
5: you go, right? And, and with that, yeah. we, we'd still have the carbon dioxide, the greenhouse gas emissions yeah. issue. Yeah, uh, so the insanity yeah. continues. Tell us about the book, real quick, yeah. Mark The Cloud Revolution. Right? Um, you wrote this, this book is, yeah. is it talks about the convergence of technologies over the next 10 or 15 years, and um, book sales going well.
4: Yeah, they're going well. I'm, you know, it's a, there's stuff about EVs and that, but more, I'm much more interested in in things like advanced materials for you know bio and our healthcare, medical diagnostics. About the cloud, That's why it's called the cloud revolution, and the advance of software and AI for manufacturing processes. And maybe the part of the book I I enjoyed writing the most is about robots, the advent of true robot mobility, anthropomorphic. Robots. Even, even Elon Musk, God bless him, is entering the fray to make robots that will be assistance for human beings. And mm-hmm. as he pointed out, and I wrote in my book, these are amplifiers for human labor and human wealth and well-being. It's, it's exciting. My yeah. book's very optimistic. Mm-hmm. I'm stubbornly optimistic we'll get through our political travails and we'll, we'll, we'll bloom again. I, the subtitle is The Roaring 2020s. And I still mean it, just could take it up a year or two to get
5: rolling. Right, it's just going to be a while. On the books available, we'll Amazon and Barnes and & Noble, correct? Yep.
4: All the usual places, yep.
5: Gotcha. Hey, Mark, thank you very much, man. I always appreciate you spending so much time. You're very generous. And uh, you have yourself a good holiday season. Our best to you and yours. And we'll talk to you again in the new year. And uh, we'll kind of take it from there. I'm Ron Anany in the car, Doctor. I wish all of you a good Turkey Day weekend. If that's possible, recover. we got work next week. Until then, good mechanics aren't expensive. They're priceless. See ya.
1: I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying... A podcast. podcast.